Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. O risen Christ, open us to the power of your resurrection as we hear it proclaimed anew this day, that we too might rise to new life in you. Amen. The scripture is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 18. Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you won't be tempted to. Carry each other's burdens and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then, let's work for the good of all whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. Look at the large letters I'm making with my own handwriting. Whoever wants to look good by human, standard, by human standards will try to get you to be circumcised, but only so they won't be harassed for the cross of Christ. Those who are circumcised don't observe the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your physical body. But as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. Being circumcised or not being circumcised doesn't mean anything. What matters is a new creation. May peace and mercy be on whoever follows this rule and on God's Israel. From now on, no one should bother me because I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. So, your bulletin did not lie to you. Peter has not uh, strangely transformed. He's just still recovering from surgery on Monday. So he gave me a call yesterday and said, so, about that sermon. Uh, hopefully he'll be back in the office later in the week um, and we pray for his swift and continued recovery. But it was interesting, uh, right about the time that Peter called me, I was at the mission fair hanging out behind the welcome table and my husband Patrick was with me and we'd been chatting about lots of things and he told me this story I had never heard about when he was a kid and as soon as Peter's like, hey, I need you to preach, I was like, I have to tell that story. So I got his permission, it's okay. Um, Patrick grew up in one of those households, your household might be like it, where one parent had been Catholic as a child, the other had grown up in a Baptist church, and so when they got married, there was some conversation about how the kids would be raised. As an infant, he was baptized in a Catholic church. He was sprinkled, much like we do here. But by the time he was a youth, they were attending a more Baptist church. In fact, so Baptist um, that they believed that not only did you have to have a believer's baptism, meaning you had to be old enough to answer for yourself, to say, yes, I want to be baptized, but you had to be fully immersed, a.k.a. dunked, 
And that if you weren't fully immersed, you could not be a member of the church. Now, for those of you who've had to serve on SPR or trustees, maybe not being a member of the church sounds like a pretty good deal. Um, But in this church, you had to be a member to do anything. Anything. Including checkout equipment in the gym. They had little cards for every member, and they were, they were kept in a box. And if you wanted to play basketball or foosball or ping pong, you had to go to the window, and they would find your card, and they would check the equipment out to you. And as he put it, you want to play foosball? Too bad. Better find a baptized kid to play with you. It sounds funny when we're talking about foosball, But if you've been reading through Galatians this month with us, I hope that, like me, you've had that moment of realization, that you've seen that there are still times in this day and age when in big ways and in small ways, we create unnecessary barriers to Jesus Christ, to faith, and to the church. And the stakes are much higher than foosball. We have been reading through Galatians, and in case you weren't here for all of April, um, we have gotten all the way to the end in chapter 6. One of the great blessings, I think, of having read Galatians in such a short span is that for me, chapter 6 finally makes sense. See, when you just kind of read it in isolation, if it's the only piece you're picking up, it sort of feels like a random collection of all the things. Like Paul was running out of stationary paper and he just had to cram in every last thought before he sent the letter off. But really, those of us who've been reading through can see Paul is walking you back out of the argument that he's been making for the whole of the letter. Remember, we started in chapter 1, and Paul wanted to talk about, it's not what other people think of you that matters, it's what God thinks about you, that death comes from seeking popularity. And then he talked about, in chapter 2, that that your actions ought to match your heart, that hypocrisy is a way that leads to death instead of life. And then we got to chapter 4, and we talked about um, what it means to have a hollow faith. A faith that is only something we profess but don't don't feel in our hearts or really live. And then last week, Peter talked about how to not live out of self-centeredness, but rather to bear the good fruit of the Spirit. Popularity, hypocrisy, hollowness, self-centeredness. And then where do we get to today? We talk about selfishness reaps devastation. We talk about don't have a hollow faith, but continue to do good works, even when it feels like you want to give up. We talk about people who make extra rules so they look good, don't want to deal with the reality of faith, and don't have your best interests at part. So you shouldn't worry about other people's opinions. In fact, only the new creation matters. It's not a random collection of stuff. 
It's a very careful recitation of all that Paul wants to say to the Galatians because he is fervently seeking to give them not only a good word, but a next step in their faith. I want to concentrate on two pieces of chapter 6, the first piece and the last piece, because I'm preaching and I get to do that. The <laughs> Good, all right, you are awake. We get this beautiful first piece, right? We've, we are just coming off talking about what you should do with your freedom and how wonderful it is to be free and the fruits that freedom will bear. And so Paul says, what do you do with that? You bear one another's burdens. You become the kind of community that looks after one another. And he draws a very careful line down the center, right? Did you notice he uses two words, burdens and loads? Now, we often use those interchangeably, but he's drawing a very particular line. A load is the thing that is your daily work, that you are expected to carry. We each carry our own piece of the load. You know what load looks like. It looks like getting up and taking a shower today. Yes, please. It looks like making sure food got on the table. It looks like spending a little time in prayer. It looks like showing up for work on time, even when you don't feel like it. It looks like keeping up with friends and family because it's a joy to do. Loads are the normal pieces of everyday life. But sometimes life is a little harder than that, isn't it? Sometimes people we love get sick or make choices we don't understand. Sometimes things happen in the world that are scary or incomprehensible. Those things are burdens. The things that are above and beyond the daily stuff of life. And we were never meant to deal with that stuff alone. From the very beginning, God created us to live in community. And Paul says, look, your freedom doesn't make you lone rangers. It doesn't mean that you have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It means when life gets tough, you ought to be there for one another. To me, that's good news. And I know that this is a community that understands that kind of burden sharing. I know because Margaret Johnson sends out daily prayer requests. And I know that you lift those up fervently. I know because when I visit with people who are experiencing grief or sickness, I open their freezer and there are casseroles spilling out for days. I know that when I call on a house where someone is sick, I am frequently not the first person or the second person or even the third person from the church to reach out to them. You are a community where it is good to do life together that understands what it means to pick up the extra weight and walk together. Paul says, bear one another's burdens. Don't worry about the stuff of hypocrisy, of selfishness. Don't worry about the extra added rules. Just focus on the new thing that God is creating you to be. 
He goes so far as to say, only the new creation matters. He goes so far as to write it in his own hand. You get this crazy picture of him like dictating to the scribe and then just getting so overwhelmed with passion. He grabs the pen and has to write it out himself. This is what really matters for you. And when I watch us bear burdens with one another, I know that we understand that, at least in part. But you know, new creation, it sounds warm and fuzzy, but it can be a tough road as well. There's a reason Paul has to get this frustrated, this adamant with the Galatians. You know, all the time we've been talking about this letter, um, our favorite people to beat up on has been the Judaizers, right? Those who wanted to say you, you had to be circumcised, you had to keep the law if you wanted to be a Christian. To us today, that idea is so foreign that it's easy to just dismiss. But look at it at its core for a moment. Consider for a second that this isn't really just about circumcision. Really, what the Judaizers are saying is I know what a faith community looks like. I was born into this community. I grew up in this community. I am comfortable here. And now it's changing radically. And I don't know what to do with that. Really what you have in a people who are trying to demand the old law be kept in the new way is people who are trying to hang on to what is familiar, what has always been the faith that gave them life, even in the face of a cultural sea change. And y'all, I think we can kind of understand that. Not long ago, there was a scholar, his name is Dr. Lovett Weems, he was commissioned by several denominations to investigate why mainline Protestant attendance was dropping. And he discovered some interesting things. And he did a presentation for, amongst others, Methodist bishops. So I thought um, we would play a little game with Dr. Lovett Weems findings. We got to play a game last week at Women's Retreat. Sorry y'all missed out. Um, they liked it. So we're going to play a little game. It's called I've Thought That. It's a really easy game. A statement's going to come up on the screen, and we will raise our hands if eh, we've thought that. Can you do that? Is that okay? This is how I make sure you're still awake, right? All right, so what's the first one, Jake? People in our community, our town, are religious. I've thought that. Yes, that puts you in the majority of people. We all think our communities are religious, and yet what we found from census data and other sources is the only religious preference that has grown in every state since 2001 is none. I have no religion. I think that most of us have thought there are a lot of young families with children and we just need to do the right program to attract them. I know there's a couple of hands because I've had this conversation. <laughs> yeah. But what we found is that Married couples with children represented half the population in the 1950s. There's a reason we called it the baby boom. 
Today, they are 25% of the population. They're there, and we should do great ministry, but it's different than 1955. How about this one? Young adults get married and return to church. This is the, they go off to college, they take a break, they come back. When they get married, they'll come back. It's okay, yes? I've thought this one. Okay, hands are getting smaller. Y'all are getting the game. <laughs> While married people are more likely to return to church, more than half of young adults, hi there, are single. Last time I checked, the average age of marriage was 29. 29. It's a little different than 1955. All right, this last one, early service was not having any of. Most people already attend a church. What we, what we have found out is 17% of the American population attend worship anywhere. And what that means is attend worship regularly, and regularly here is defined as at least once a month. 17% of Americans attend worship somewhere at least once a month. It's a really different world than 1955. It's a really different world than 1968 when the United Methodists came into being. I think there's a reason why we should have some sympathy for the Judaizers. Because there's a lot of churches out there who have gotten comfortable with doing ministry, with offering gospel in a certain way, and yet there is a cultural sea change happening around us. We are a little comfortable with their struggle. We know that we live in an era when Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour, hours in the week. We know that we live in an era when we have statistics, because we track these things, that people will attend a church two economic classes higher, but only one lower. We live in the kind of era when we see more and more people, not just young people, don't blame this on me, y'all, more and more people walking away from the church and too many congregations wanting to comfortably plant their feet in what they know and call them urgently back. But what is needed is to run after them where they are. See, this is the struggle about new creation. It never stops being new. There are core pieces that we will always hold. We stand and we say a creed and we believe every word of that. But have y'all noticed we haven't been doing the Apostles' Creed this series? We have done a modern affirmation. Not because there's anything wrong with the Apostles' Creed, but because I want you to think about what you're saying. Because those are the core and everything else might shift from time to time. What the building look like, looks like, what the people look like, what it means to be ministry looks like. I heard this crazy science thing on uh, NPR, Science Friday, one of those little segments. I actually had to go look it up because I didn't think it could possibly be true. 
Um, you know butterflies? Yes, butterflies. We, we love to use butterflies. When we talk about new creation, we love to talk about chrysalis. I always thought that the caterpillar like went in the chrysalis and like kind of shed its outer skin and then there was just a butterfly. Yes, okay, Nita Allen is like shaking her head at me like, no, that is not what happens. Okay, so you know, this is what really happens in the chrysalis. The caterpillar basically dissolves to goo and completely reforms to a new bug. The even crazier part is They've done experiments where they did little shocks to a caterpillar, and after it had dissolved to glue, to goo, and come back and emerged as a butterfly, it was afraid of the trigger for the shock. New creation sometimes means letting go of almost everything that is familiar and hanging on only to what you have learned at the most center core of who you are in order to be what will proclaim gospel to the next generation. The first time I heard our soon-to-be-outgoing bishop, Bishop Huey, preach, she was talking about what the church would look like in 40 years. And she said this thing that has stuck with me. She said, Church, if we do our job right, our spiritual children and grandchildren will probably look nothing like us. If we do our job right, our spiritual children and grandchildren will probably look nothing like us. Now, what's prompted that for her is, is a whole lot of census data that says, particularly here in Texas, by the year 2042, the U.S. will be a non-majority society. In fact, it's going to happen earlier in Texas. Our spiritual children and grandchildren are going to look nothing like us. And as I stood at Mission Fair on Saturday, those words kept playing in my head. Because lots of people who came through the door were old friends, were people that I have gotten to walk with over the last few years here, who came and were excited to share and to see, but so many people who came through the door were members of our community that had never set foot in this place that for one reason or another didn't necessarily look like most of the faces I see on Sunday morning, sometimes didn't even speak the same language that we speak on Sunday morning. It was a richer, brighter, more diverse community. This is the community our children are encountering in school and on the playground. This is the world in which they're growing up, and this is the mission field to which we are called now. It is good to bear one another's burdens, and I am glad that we have learned that lesson so well. But our next step, our call that we hear 
Paul proclaiming in Galatians is to be the new creation. The next thing that Lake Jackson needs, that a hurting world needs, that 83% of Americans could at least give a shot more than once a month. It's really funny when we're talking about having to be baptized to play foosball. But the stakes are way higher than that. As I prayed last night, as I sat with this text again, I played the Mad Lib game. You ever play that as a kid? I even posted this on Facebook for those of you who are Facebookers. If you take verses 14 and 15, I think you get an interesting moment to ponder. But as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. Being or not being doesn't mean anything. What matters is a new creation. This week, as you sit with the Spirit, I invite you to ask what goes in those blanks. Being or not being, what matters is the new creation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.